Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 32, Part 2 The plan agreed upon between us for carrying out of our intentions was this. At the time appointed, Mary was to excuse herself to her cousin upon the plea that she had promised to take me to see a friend in the next town. She was then to enter a buggy previously ordered and drive here where I was to join her. We were then to proceed immediately to the minister's house in Fairmont, where we had reason to believe we should find everything prepared for us. But in this plan, simple as it was, one thing was forgotten, and that was the character of Eleanor's love for her cousin. That her suspicions would be aroused, we did not doubt, but that she would actually follow Mary up and demand an explanation of her conduct was what neither she who knew her so well, nor I, who knew her so little, ever imagined possible. And yet, that was just what occurred. But let me explain. Mary, who had followed out the program to the point of leaving a little note of excuse on Eleanor's dressing table, had come to my house, and was just taking off her long cloak to show me her dress, when there came a commanding knock at the front door. Hastily pulling her cloak about her, I ran to open it, intending, you may be sure, to dismiss my visitor with short ceremony, when I heard a voice behind me say, "'Good heavens, it is Eleanor,' and glancing back saw Mary looking through the window blind upon the porch without. "'What shall we do?' I cried, in very natural dismay. "'Do? Why, open the door and let her in. I'm not afraid of Eleanor.' I immediately did so, and Eleanor Leavenworth, very pale, but with a resolute countenance, walked into the house and into this room, confronting Mary in very nearly the same spot where you are now sitting. "'I have come,' said she, lifting a face whose expression of mingled sweetness and power I could not but admire, even in that moment of apprehension, to ask you, without any excuse for my request, "'if you will allow me to accompany you "'upon your drive this morning.' "'Mary, who had drawn herself up "'to meet some word of accusation or appeal, "'turned carelessly away to the glass. "'I am very sorry,' she said, "'but the buggy holds only two, "'and I shall be obliged to refuse. "'I will order a carriage. "'But I do not wish your company, Eleanor. "'We are off on a pleasure trip "'and desire to have our fun by ourselves.' "'and you will not allow me to accompany you? "'I cannot prevent your going in another carriage.' "'Eleanor's face grew yet more earnest in its expression. "'Mary,' said she, "'we have been brought up together. "'I am your sister, in affection, if not in blood, "'and I cannot see you start upon this adventure "'with no other companion than this woman. "'Then tell me, 
Shall I go with you, as a sister, or on the road behind you, as the enforced guardian of your honor, against your will? My honor? You are going to meet Mr. Clavering. Well, twenty miles from home. Well, now, is it discreet or honorable in you to do this? Mary's haughty lip took an ominous curve. The same hand that raised you has raised me, she cried bitterly. This is no time to speak of that, returned Eleanor. Mary's countenance flushed. All the antagonism of her nature was aroused. She looked absolutely Juno-like in her wrath and reckless menace. Eleanor, she cried, I am going to Fairmont to marry Mr. Clavering. Now, do you wish to accompany me? I do. Mary's whole manner changed. Leaping forward, she grasped her cousin's arm and shook it. For what reason, she cried, what do you intend to do? To witness the marriage, if it be a true one, to step between you and shame, if any element of falsehood should come into effect its legality. Mary's hand fell from her cousin's arm. I do not understand you, said she. I thought you never gave countenance to what you considered wrong. Nor do I. Anyone who knows me will understand that I do not give my approval to this marriage just because I attend its ceremonial in the capacity of an unwilling witness. Then why go? Because I value your honor above my own peace, because I love our common benefactor, and know that he would never pardon me if I let his darling be married, however contrary her union might be to his wishes, without lending the support of my presence to make the transaction at least a respectable one. But in doing so, you will be involved in a world of deception, which you hate, any more so than now? Mr. Clavering does not return with me, Eleanor. No, I suppose not. I leave him immediately after the ceremony. Eleanor bowed her head. He goes to Europe. A pause. And I return home. There to wait for what, Mary? Mary's face crimsoned, and she turned slowly away. What every other girl does under such circumstances, I suppose. The development of more reasonable feelings in an obdurate parent's heart. Eleanor sighed, and a short silence ensued, broken by Eleanor suddenly falling upon her knees and clasping her cousin's hand. Oh, Mary, she sobbed, her haughtiness all disappearing in a gush of wild entreaty. Consider what you are doing. Think, before it is too late, of the consequences which must follow such an act as this. Marriage, founded upon deception, can never lead to happiness. Love, but it is not that. Love would have led you either to have dismissed Mr. Clavering at once, or to have openly accepted the fate which a union with him would bring. Only passion stoops to subterfuge like this. And you, she continued, rising and turning toward me in a sort of forlorn hope, very touching to see, can you see this young motherless girl, driven by caprice, and acknowledging no moral restraint, enter upon the dark and crooked path she is planning for herself, without uttering one word of warning and appeal? Tell me, mother of children dead and buried, 
what excuse you will have for your own part in this day's work when she, with her face marred by the sorrows which must follow this deception, comes to you. The same excuse, probably, Mary's voice broke in, chill and strained, which you will have when uncle inquires how you came to allow such an act of disobedience to be perpetrated in his absence, that she could not help herself, and everyone around must accommodate themselves to it. It was like a draught of icy air suddenly poured into a room heated up to fever point. Eleanor stiffened immediately, and drawing back, pale and composed, turned upon her cousin with the remark, "'Then nothing can move you?' The curling of Mary's lips was her only reply. "'Mr. Raymond, I do not wish to weary you with my feelings, but the first great distrust I ever felt of my wisdom in pushing this matter so far came with that curl of Mary's lip. More plainly than Eleanor's words, it showed me the temper with which she was entering upon this undertaking, and, struck with momentary dismay, I advanced to speak when Mary stopped me. "'There now, Mama Hubbard, don't you go and acknowledge that you are frightened, for I won't hear it. I've promised to marry Henry Clavering today, and I'm going to keep my word, if I don't love him,' she added with bitter emphasis. Then smiling upon me in a way which caused me to forget everything, save the fact that she was going to her bridal, she handed me her veil to fasten. As I was doing this with very trembling fingers, she said, looking straight at Eleanor, "'You have shown yourself more interested in my fate than I had any reason to expect. Will you continue to display this concern all the way to Fairmont, or may I hope for a few moments of peace in which to dream upon the step which, according to you, is about to hurl upon me such dreadful consequences?' "'If I go with you to Fairmont,' Eleanor returned, "'it is as a witness, no more. "'My sisterly duty is done.' "'Very well, then,' Mary said, "'dimpling with sudden gaiety. "'I suppose I shall have to accept the situation. "'Mama Hubbard, I am so sorry to disappoint you, "'but the buggy won't hold three. "'If you are good, "'you shall be the first to congratulate me "'when I come home tonight.' And, almost before I knew it, the two had taken their seats in the buggy that was waiting at the door. "'Good-bye,' cried Mary, waving her hand from the back. "'Wish me much joy of my ride.' I tried to do so, but the words wouldn't come. I could only wave my hand in response and rush, sobbing into the house. Of that day and its long hours of alternate remorse and anxiety, I cannot trust myself to speak.' Let me come at once to the time when, seated alone in my lamp-lighted room, I waited and watched for the token of their return, which Mary had promised me. It came in the shape of Mary herself, who, wrapped in her long cloak and with her beautiful face aglow with blushes, came stealing into the house just as I was beginning to despair. A strain of wild music from the hotel porch where they were having a dance entered with her, producing such a weird effect upon my fancy that I was not at all surprised when, in flinging off her cloak, she displayed garments of bridal white and a head crowned with snowy roses. 
"'Oh, Mary!' I cried, bursting into tears. "'You are, then, Mrs. Henry Clavering at your service. "'I'm a bride, Auntie.' "'Without a bridle,' I murmured, "'taking her passionately into my embrace. "'She was not insensible to my emotion. "'Nestling close to me, she gave herself up for one wild moment "'to a genuine burst of tears, "'saying between her sobs all manner of tender things.' telling me how she loved me and how I was the only one in all the world to whom she dared come on this, her wedding night, for comfort or congratulation, and of how frightened she felt now it was all over, as if with her name she had parted with something of inestimable value. And does not the thought of having made someone the proudest of men solace you, I asked, more than dismayed at this failure of mine to make these lovers happy, "'I don't know,' she sobbed. "'What satisfaction can it be for him "'to feel himself tied for life to a girl who, "'sooner than lose a prospective fortune, "'subjected him to such a parting?' "'Tell me about it,' said I. "'But she was not in the mood at that moment. "'The excitement of the day had been too much for her. "'A thousand fears seemed to beset her mind. "'Crouching down on the stool at my feet, "'she sat with her hands folded and a glare on her face that lent an aspect of strange unreality to her brilliant attire. How shall I keep it secret? The thought haunts me every moment. How can I keep it secret? Why, is there any danger of its being known? I inquired. Were you seen or followed? No, she murmured. It all went off well, but... Where is the danger, then? I cannot say. But some deeds are like ghosts, they will not be laid, they reappear, they gibber, they make themselves known whether we will or not. I did not think of this before. I was mad, reckless, what you will. But ever since the night has come, I have felt it crushing upon me like a pall that smothers life and youth and love out of my heart. While the sunlight remained, I could endure it, but now, oh, auntie, I've done something that will keep me in constant fear. I've allied myself to a living apprehension. I've destroyed my happiness. I was too aghast to speak. For two hours I've played at being gay, dressed in my bridal white and crowned with roses. I've greeted my friends as if they were wedding guests and made believe to myself that all the compliments bestowed upon me, and they are only too numerous, were just so many congratulations. "'upon my marriage. "'But it was no use. "'Eleanor knew it was no use. "'She has gone to her room to pray, "'while I... "'I have come here for the first time, "'perhaps for the last, "'to fall at someone's feet and cry, "'God have mercy upon me.' "'I looked at her in uncontrollable emotion. "'Oh, Mary, have I only succeeded, then, "'in making you miserable?' "'She did not answer.' She was engaged in picking up the crown of roses, which had fallen from her hair to the floor. "'If I had not been taught to love money so,' she said at length, "'if, like Eleanor, I could look upon the splendor which has been ours from childhood as a mere accessory of life, easy to be dropped at the call of duty or affection, if prestige, adulation, and elegant belongings were not so much to me, or love, friendship, and domestic happiness more, 
If only I could walk a step without dragging the chain of a thousand luxurious longings after me. Eleanor can. Imperious as she often is in her beautiful womanhood, haughty as she can be when the delicate quick of her personality is touched too rudely, I have known her to sit by the hour in a low, chilly, ill-lighted, and ill-smelling garret, cradling a dirty child on her knee, and feeding with her own hand an impatient old woman whom no one else would consent to touch. Oh, oh, they talk about repentance and a change of heart. If someone or something would only change mine. But there is no hope of that. No hope of my ever being anything else than what I am, a selfish, willful, mercenary girl. Nor was this mood a mere transitory one. That same night, she made a discovery which increased her apprehension almost to terror. This was nothing less than the fact that Eleanor had been keeping a diary of the last few weeks. Oh, she cried in relating this to me the next day, what security shall I ever feel as long as this diary of hers remains to confront me every time I go into her room? and she will not consent to destroy it, though I have done my best to show her that it is a betrayal of the trust I reposed in her. She says it is all she has to show in the way of defense, if uncle should ever accuse her of treachery to him in his happiness. She promises to keep it locked up, but what good will that do? A thousand accidents might happen, any of them sufficient to throw it into uncle's hands." I shall never feel safe for a moment while it exists. I endeavored to calm her by saying that if Eleanor was without malice, such fears were groundless, but she would not be comforted, and seeing her so wrought up, I suggested that Eleanor should be asked to trust it into my keeping till such time as she should feel the necessity of using it. The idea struck Mary favorably. Oh, yes, she cried, and I will put my certificate with it, and so get rid of all my care at once. And before the afternoon was over, she had seen Eleanor and made her request. It was acceded to, with this proviso, that I was neither to destroy nor give up all or any of the papers except upon their united demand. A small tin box was accordingly procured, into which were put all the proofs of Mary's marriage then existing, vis-à-vis the certificate, Mr. Clavering's letters, and such leaves from Eleanor's diary as referred to this matter. It was then handed over to me with the stipulation I have already mentioned, and I stowed it away in a certain closet upstairs, where it has lain undisturbed till last night. Here Mrs. Belden paused, and blushing painfully, raised her eyes to mine, with a look in which anxiety and entreaty were curiously blended. "'I don't know what you will say,' she began, "'but led away by my fears, "'I took that box out of its hiding place last evening, "'and notwithstanding your advice, "'carried it from the house, "'and it is now in my possession,' I quietly finished. "'I don't think I ever saw her look more astounded, "'not even when I told her of Hannah's death. "'Impossible!' she exclaimed, I left it last night in the old barn that was burned down. I merely meant to hide it for the present and could think of no better place in my hurry, for the barn is said to be haunted. A man hung himself there once, 
and no one ever goes there. I, I, you cannot have it, she cried, unless, unless I found and brought it away before the barn was destroyed, I suggested. Her face flushed deeper. Then you followed me? Yes, said I. Then, as I felt my own countenance redden, hastened to add, we have been playing strange and unaccustomed parts, you and I. Sometime, when all these dreadful events shall be a mere dream of the past, we will ask each other's pardon. But never mind all this now. The box is safe, and I am anxious to hear the rest of your story. This seemed to compose her, and after a minute she continued, Mary seemed more like herself after this, and though, on account of Mr. Leavenworth's return and their subsequent preparations for departure, I saw but little more of her, what I did see was enough to make me fear that, with the locking up of the proofs of her marriage, she was indulging the idea that the marriage itself had become void, but I may have wronged her in this. The story of those few weeks is almost finished. On the eve of the day before she left, Mary came to my house to bid me goodbye. She had a present in her hand, the value of which I will not state, as I did not take it, though she coaxed me with all her prettiest wiles. But she said something that night that I have never been able to forget. It was this. I had been speaking of my hope that before two months had elapsed she would find herself in a position to send for Mr. Clavering, and that when that day came... I should wish to be advised of it when she suddenly interrupted me by saying, Uncle will never be won upon, as you call it, while he lives. If I was convinced of it before, I am sure of it now. Nothing but his death will ever make it possible for me to send for Mr. Clavering. Then, seeing me look aghast at the long period of separation which this seemed to betoken, blushed a little and whispered, the prospect looks somewhat dubious, doesn't it? But if Mr. Clavering loves me, he can wait. But, said I, your uncle is only little past the prime of life and appears to be in robust health. It will be years of waiting, Mary. I don't know, she muttered. I think not. Uncle is not as strong as he looks, and... She did not say any more, horrified, perhaps, at the turn the conversation was taking... But there was an expression on her countenance that set me thinking at the time and has kept me thinking ever since. Not that any actual dread of such an occurrence as has since happened came to oppress my solitude during the long months which now intervened. I was as yet too much under the spell of her charm to allow anything calculated to throw a shadow over her image to remain long in my thoughts. But when, sometime in the fall, a letter came to me, personally, from Mr. Clavering, filled with a vivid appeal to tell him something of the woman who, in spite of her vows, doomed him to a suspense so cruel. And when, on the evening of the same day, a friend of mine, who had just returned from New York, spoke of meeting Mary Leavenworth at some gathering, surrounded by manifest admirers, I began to realize the alarming features of the affair— and sitting down, I wrote her a letter. Not in the strain in which I had been accustomed to talk to her. I had not her pleading eyes and trembling, caressing hands ever before me to beguile my judgment from its proper exercise. 
but honestly and earnestly telling her how Mr. Clavering felt and what a risk she ran in keeping so ardent a lover from his rights. The reply, she sent, rather startled me. I have put Mr. Robbins out of my calculations for the present and advise you to do the same. As for the gentleman himself, I have told him that when I could receive him, I would be careful to notify him. That day has not yet come. But do not let him be discouraged, she added in a postscript. When he does receive his happiness, it will be a satisfying one. When, I thought. Ah, it is that when which is likely to ruin all. But intent only upon filling her will, I sat down and wrote a letter to Mr. Clavering, in which I stated what she had said, and begged him to have patience, adding that I would surely let him know if any change took place in Mary or her circumstances. And having dispatched it to his address in London, awaited the development of events. They were not slow in transpiring. In two weeks, I heard of the sudden death of Mr. Stebbins, the minister who had married them, and while yet laboring under the agitation produced by this shock, was further startled by seeing in a New York paper the name of Mr. Clavering among the list of arrivals at the Hoffman House, showing that my letter to him had failed in its intended effect and that the patience Mary had calculated upon so blindly was verging to its end. I was consequently far from being surprised when in a couple of weeks or so afterwards a letter came from him to my address, which, owing to the careless omission of the private mark upon the envelope, I opened and read enough to learn that, driven to desperation by the constant failures which he had experienced in all his endeavors to gain access to her in public or private, a failure which he was not backward in ascribing to her indisposition to see him, he had made up his mind to risk everything, even her displeasure, and by making an appeal to her uncle and the suspense under which he was laboring, definitely and at once. I want you, he wrote, dowered or dowerless. It makes little difference to me. If you will not come of yourself, then I must follow the example of the brave knights, my ancestors, storm the castle that holds you and carry you off by force of arms. Neither can I say I was much surprised, knowing Mary as I did, when, in a few days from this, she forwarded to me for copying this reply. If Mr. Robbins ever expects to be happy with Amy Belden, let him reconsider the determination of which he speaks. Not only would he by such an action succeed in destroying the happiness of her he professes to love, but run the greater risk of effectually annulling the affection which makes the tie between them endurable. To this there was neither date nor signature. It was the cry of warning which a spirited, self-contained creature gives when brought to bay. It made even me recoil, though I had known from the first that her pretty willfulness was but the tossing foam floating above the soundless depths of cold resolve and most deliberate purpose. What its real effect was upon him and her fate, I can only conjecture. All I know is that in two weeks thereafter, Mr. Leavenworth was found murdered in his room, and Hannah Chester, coming direct to my door from the scene of violence, begged me to take her in and secret her from public inquiry 
as I loved and desired to serve Mary Leavenworth. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.